listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are in the last week of this series called All of God. And uh, for those of you who are, are new to the series, um, essentially John Bevere wrote this book over the course of last year. And he made available all of his teaching notes to pastors. And what we've done is I've taken these teaching notes and I've reworked them and I've gone through them and, you know, put in some effort to make sure that they fit our specific um, situation and circumstance here. Um, but, but this book is an incredible book. If you haven't read it, you need to. It's going to help you. The fear of God is something that we all need to understand and embrace. And a lot of people have no clue what it is to fear the Lord. They think, like, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. Like, it's not like you're walking through a dark room and God goes, Jason. Like, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Which, by the way, if he did that, go on ahead and take me to glory, Jesus, because I'm probably going to die right on the spot. Don't be scaring me, Jesus. I can't handle it. I don't watch scary movies. Y'all hear what I'm saying? But another part of it, too, is they have this app called Messenger X, and I talk about this every Sunday, but if you haven't downloaded this, you need to download this. Okay, this is going to help you develop your relationship with Jesus. Fresh content. It's free. It's awesome. You need to jump on it, okay? I don't know about y'all, but any tool that helps me do the job better, I want that tool, okay? And so if I have to go buy it, if, if somebody gives it to me, if somebody loans it to me, I don't care. I just need the tool. This is a free tool that's going to help you get closer to Jesus. Amen? Okay, so this week we are talking about the byproducts of holy fear. The byproducts of holy fear. Okay, now earlier in this series, um, John Bevere has spent a lot of time talking about how sad it is that people need a benefit in order to do something. Now, let me give you a scenario where this makes sense. I don't want to join your Super Savers Club. Just give us your email and your phone number. You can join our Super Savers Club. I don't want to do that. No. Well, if you do, you're going to save 10 cents a gallon on every gallon of gas you buy. Sign me up. You're not going to join their Super Savers Club unless you get some kind of benefit, right? Sadly, we see that within the kingdom. Is that people don't want to do X, Y, Z that the Bible commands because they don't see that there's an immediate benefit. What if the benefit was just being an obedient child of your father? I mean, what if that was it? What if your obedience was you walking and reveling in the love that you have for your father? What if that alone was enough for you to do that? Now, a no can easily turn into a yes when a benefit is attached. And this is why sin is so enticing, isn't it? I mean, y'all, did y'all know something? Sin is is fun. Did y'all know that, right? Well, sin ain't fun. I'm not going to say it because Jesus won't let me. No, like... That's why people sin. If sin was a drag, nobody would do it. Okay, but, but listen, it's fun for a season. I even remember when I, when I left high school, I mean, I was a Christian. I've been walking with Jesus, and, you know, walking with Jesus is as good as I was. I mean, I wasn't perfect by any stretch, but I honestly wasn't chasing him like I should have been either. You know what I'm talking about? I was kind of just in the middle. And so when I got to my college, I joined a fraternity, and I drank like a fish, man. I drank so much. Um, it's ridiculous to think about how much. I, how much time and effort and energy I wasted. And m- my kidneys are probably want to say a little something to me about it too, but here's what happened though, is it was fun at the beginning. But after about three months of that, I woke up one morning and I said, why do people think this is a fun lifestyle? Going out and clubbing and do, it's, it got to a point for me where it wasn't fun anymore. You know why? Because sin had lost the enticing nature that got me into it to begin with. But sin is enticing. If sin actually advertised what you actually get, we wouldn't even give it a thought. Look at something bad on the internet and feel guilt and shame for three whole days. Whole days, whole days. 
That's not what you get, though. If sin really were to tell you and tempt you, like it, what's really going on is, you know, your spouse hasn't even noticed you this week. Or, or if you're single, it's, not, it's no big deal. You see, sin will lure you and entice you with that because it's trying to dangle a benefit in front of you to get you to jump in. Now, in this whole process, I don't think what John Bevere is talking about is benefits necessarily, or that benefits are bad necessarily. And I don't even, I don't think benefits are bad either. I mean, there are some benefits to walking for the Lord, living for the Lord. But I don't think benefits is the right word. I mean, obedience for the benefit is hardly obedience. It's really bribery is what it is. It's like when you have your little kid and you want them to eat their peas and to leave the jello alone. So what you do is you bribe them in some way, shape, or form to get them to eat the peas, don't you? Some of y'all, do, some of y'all just like, boy, eat the peas. I'm okay. You know, like whatever it is. But we, we tend to do this even as parents, but that's not really obedience. Translation is this, when the reward is the focus, obedience becomes a duty. In reality, the delight is obedience. The benefit is just a byproduct. So rather than saying benefits, a, a more apt description would be a byproduct. So rather than trying to solo the series with talks of the benefits of holy fear, let me rather shift the terminology to what it actually is. This is what actually happens when you do walk in holy fear. Now, we call them benefits, but they're really just fruit. They're the produce. They're the byproducts, not the benefits. Remember, before we jump in any further, we need to remember what holy fear is. Okay? Holy fear is simply the fear of the Lord. It's, it's obeying Him. It's trembling at His word. It's revering Him. It's considering holy what He considers holy. It's, it's being in awe and in wonder of him. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. So there's a standing principle in the Bible where if you do what God asks you to do, you simply get the byproducts of it. Now, this is sowing and reaping that we've heard about before, right? Everybody's heard the old sowing and reaping. And every pastor that talks about sowing and reaping, if they don't talk about tithing when they talk about sowing and reaping, then they instantly go to hell, right? Is that how it works? Like, you have to talk about it. So the problem is, though, is it's a really good example of this. So let me just to walk you through this for just a second. It's money tight. Are ends hard to meet right now? Listen, that, I've walked through that too. I remember right before I went to New Covenant, um, uh, I was there for about seven years, and um, I was always just a tipper. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never tithe. I just tipped the Lord. And just gave him a, well, oh, Jesus, oh, I got a 20. You know, like, that's kind of like how I did. Um, and, and ends were always tight. Like, we never were able to, to meet our, our needs, really. And here's what I began to, to realize in that season is that um, some of it was the tithing part of it. Some of it was I spent the other 90 like a moron. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, uh, instead of cooking food at home, we would just go out to eat every single night. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's easier. It's easier, isn't it? Just have somebody else make the food for you. Um, but we just weren't spending properly. And so we had to go look back at what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says in Leviticus 27:30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Th- that word here, it literally means tithe. It literally means a tenth. That's where we get the tenth from, by the way. It's not an arbitrary number. It's a tenth. And then even Abraham paid Melchizedek, Melchizedek a tenth of his, his produce as well. So that's where that word comes from. Now, listen, any of this conversation I'm talking about right here, please, y'all don't get mad at me. This is just what the Bible tells you to do, okay? This is what it says. Churches just want my money. Oh, how many of you have ever thought that before? I, th- I think a lot of us have thought that before. Our church just wants your money. But if that's the principle, then nothing in your life is genuine. 
Your spouse just wants you because you pay the house note. Or God, God, some of y'all don't, t- look, be careful not to look at your spouse on that one. But if that's the principle, then maybe God just wants to be around you because he can use you to do what he wants to do in the earth. He doesn't really want you. He just wants to use you. That's not how it is at all. If you won't obey God because of some church's sin concerning what they do at the tithe, then how could you ever love God when there are so many hypocrites out there? That's the old idea of how in the world can there be all these busted up teeth when there are so many dentists in the world? You can't base your obedience to God on whether or not other people obey. You have to answer for you. They will answer for them. Y'all with me so far? Let me read you this one, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Again, I'm just proving the point that when you obey God, you get his byproducts. Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer, no more need, not want. Big difference, no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only passage of scripture, by the way, where God says it's okay for you to test him. Did y'all know that? A lot of times we tell people this. If you have a problem with it and all that stuff, give God nine weeks and see what happens. Now, tithing for nine weeks means you gotta be, you gotta be managing the other well as well because like you can't, you can't give God the 10% and then go go to the boat and you know, blow all your money gambling. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not how it works. I just don't know if y'all know that, okay? Okay, <laughs> that's funny. But again, we're talking about what happens when you obey. So let's use one we like more. Well, let me get off of tithing. Let's use one we like more. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you obey by believing, you get eternal life. Okay, let's do another one. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, if you obey by drawing near to him, guess what you get? The byproduct is he draws near to you. Let's do one more. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We just read that. So if you repent, then God will heal your land. That's the byproduct. So obedience produces a byproduct. I got some bad news for y'all though. Disobedience produces a byproduct too. Okay, so don't tithe. Okay, Get the devourer. It's, it's the Bible says it. Don't tithe, get the devourer. Don't believe, get everlasting hell. You know that God never sends a single person to hell. He simply gives people what they want. They don't want him. He, he, he hates that. He, it breaks his heart. But he will give you exactly what you want. What about drawing near? You don't draw near to God? Okay, fine. Then get separation from God. That's the byproduct. Don't repent. Get a perpetually sick land. So in a lot of our series, let's talk about what are some of the byproducts of those who walk in holy fear. Remember, this is all I just told you is setting up a principle that if you obey, you get the byproducts. Psalm 112, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 9. By the way, you can follow along on version on the app if you want to. It really helps if you want to take notes. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. 
Such people will not be overcome by evil, and they will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and face their foes triumphantly. They will have influence and honor. So let's chat about these for just a second. Number one, the, the person has successful children. Well, everybody in here wants their children to be successful. Any good parent wants their children to do exponentially better than they did. Right? That's, that's what we want. I, I want my ceiling to be my child's floor. So in order to do that, I've got to honor and fear the Lord. I've got to live my life in such a way where, where my kids have learned that everything good that's happened in my life has been built upon the fact that Jesus has done it all. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. That's what the Bible tells us. So everything I have, everything I have, listen to me, even the things that I have that are based out of my wants where I didn't spend appropriately, even that stuff, while God doesn't like that I didn't spend the money well, even that still comes from Him. Why? Because every ounce of benefit in my life Every ounce comes from him. Every dollar comes from him. Y'all, the 10% ain't God's. The 100% is God's. Okay? You give him back the 10% and then you honor him by how you spend the rest of his 90%. Well, no, I got that job. Okay, man, but you know what? You better chill out because the very next breath he might decide not to give you. You see what I'm saying? Like everything comes from the Lord. The Bible talks here in Genesis 22, 17, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. In, in Jewish culture and in, in historical writings, whenever you see the doubled like that, the blessing, I will bless, multiplying, I will multiply, it means that it's not just for you, but it goes generationally. Yes. So let me ask you something. Did you have a bad family? Did you have a, a, a trash upbringing? Do you look back at your home and you think that was a messed up place and I'm so glad I'm out of it? Well, guess what, friend? I got some great news for you. If you will honor and fear the Lord, that mess can stop with you and you can begin a generation upon generation of blessing in your family. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want my family to live in a curse. I don't want to continue to walk out of poverty mentality or rejection and fear or an orphan spirit. I want that stuff to die with me. And remember, what you leave at the cross, your kids won't have to deal with. So it's worth it to fear the Lord. It's worth it to live for Him. But I don't get to do some stuff I want to do. Okay, fine. But I get the blessing that comes from my Father. Is there anything in this world that is better than Jesus? Here's the problem. This is why people don't come to the Lord. It's because they have not gotten to a place yet where they realize nothing is better than Him. Holy fear continues to bless us through our descendants. And this is true not only in this life, but eternally. The second one is this person is wealthy. Notice this could be financial wealth and it could be wealth in other areas. Growing up, my family, we were not wealthy people. We had enough. We had what we needed. But there are some times when we were eating peas out the deep freeze. Y'all hear what I'm saying? But you know what? My parents were loaded. You know why? Because they invested in people. And it's amazing to me that while they might not have had the tangible finances when we were growing up, because of their investment in people, those people have poured finances upon them. So don't tell me, well, if I invest in this and that and other, then you know, I need money right now. Jesus, no, you need to fear the Lord and to honor him and to pour into people. If God's given you wealth, bless the kingdom. Okay, move the kingdom forward. Have a nice house. Have a nice car. God don't mind if you have those things. He just don't want those things to have you. But you're enriched to bless the kingdom. 
And maybe you don't have money right now. That's fine. God bless you. Hey, you know, do the things God's told you to do and God will bless. But if you don't have the tangible finances, invest in people. The third thing is good things this person does will last forever. Sadly, many people think that when we get to heaven, everything starts over. That's not true. The Bible confirms it's not true. And the fact that there were several instances of people in heaven talking to people on earth. Several instances in the Bible. And they knew exactly what was going on. That, I, I, I don't know how all of that works out. You'll have to ask God when you get there. You got to get there first, just to let you know. But as believers now, we get to shape the, the beginning process of shaping eternity now. What am I talking about? Some people will offer you salvation so that you can get a ticket to heaven someday in the great beyond. Beulah land. You know, like that's what they get. But what I'm telling you is this. When you say yes to Jesus, you get heaven now. You can have heaven now. Well, I got to wait till I die and pass on a glory. No, you don't. It might just be a glimpse, and it might just be behind a veil like 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about, but you still get heaven. Number four, this person will not be overcome by evil. Now, I know this sounds impossible. Okay, I know it does. But, but the truth is, the closer you get to Jesus, the further you get from sin. And, and you can't actually get to a place where sin is as repugnant to you as it is to God. So if you're struggling right now with the sin, and it's one you're constantly dealing with, can I just lovingly tell you the problem is that you're just not close enough to Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to dog on your Christianity, but listen, and listen, there are a lot of times when we need therapists and we need doctors and we need all these kind of things. Don't get me wrong. This is not a church that thinks that therapy is from the devil and you just need to pray more, okay? That's not what we believe here, okay? But a lot of your problems can be solved by you just getting closer to Jesus. It's the God's honest truth, y'all. It's the truth. And if you don't believe me, try it. Well, I'm pretty close to Jesus. Get closer and see what happens. Number five, this person will be long remembered. Verse two says, an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. In, in, in this specific uh, um, passage here, the word generation uh, means age, like an age. It, it refers to our posterity, our, our, all of our future generations. Um, and a great example of this tangibly is something that we find from two men who were born in the 18th century. Um, one of them was a guy named Max Jukes. Let me read this to you. It's very interesting. In 1874, a sociologist named Doug Dell visited 13 county jails in upstate New York. He discovered six people under four different family names that were blood relatives. The family line led back to an early Dutch settler named Max Jukes, who was born in the early 1700s. After years of research, Doug Dell identified 540 descendants of Jukes. Among his descendants were 76 convicted criminals, 18 brothel keepers, and 120 prostitutes. In short, there were generational sins that led to an abundance of dysfunctional behavior and, neg and it negatively impacted his descendants. Now contrast with Jonathan Edwards, born during the same time period. He was a revivalist who authored numerous books and inspired many to take the gospel to all nations of the world. He married a woman named Sarah in, in uh, 1727. And this couple, they feared the Lord, man. They loved Jesus. They read the Bible and prayed every night before going to bed. And he was most famous for a powerful sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I remember in college, my professor put on the cloak like John Edwards did and got behind a pulpit and read out the entire sermon as if John Edwards, y'all, you talk about holy fear, man. That'll put some holy fear in you, that sermon will. But he, was fam he famously stated every single house should be a little church. And they had 11 children, and Jonathan prayed a blessing over every single child daily. 
because he believed that every house should just be a, a little church. Jonathan and Sarah's 1,394 known descendants revealed God's promise to those who fear him, that they will possess the gates of their enemies and their children will be successful everywhere. Among their descendants are these, 13 college or university presidents, 65 college or university professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 ministers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, and one vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr. Listen to me, church. It's the little things that create the things people remember about you. I'm going to say it again. It's the little things that create the things that people remember about you. I don't remember what you said. I don't remember what you did, but I remember how you made me feel. Based on your fear of the Lord alone, how will you be remembered? All right, number six, this person is fearless and confident. Oswald Chambers says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. You know, God said to Joshua seven different times, be strong and of good courage. This interesting quote from Alexander the Great, an army of sheep led by a lion is better than an army of lions led by sheep. Wow, that's pretty amazing. It's easy to be fearless and confident when you know who is on your side. And when you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you're walking with someone who calls you friend, who reveals his secrets to you, who unpacks his plan in advance. Let me ask you this. How different would your life be in terms of fear and confidence if you were so close to Jesus that he showed you how he was going to handle your situation in advance? Man, if you want the game plan, what do you do? You fear the Lord. Get close to Jesus. Number seven, this person has influence. Oh, Johnny Maxwell says influence is leadership. Leadership is influence. So the reason God allows you to have influence is not to give pride a place to live inside of you, but so that you can lead people into the same fear of the Lord that got you to the level of influence you're at to begin with. This is what happens a lot of time with people while they lose influence. It's not because they become prideful. That's just the byproduct. It's that they lost the fear of the Lord. I'm very cognizant of the fact that whether it's right or wrong, you are going to hang your lives off of what I say at this pulpit. That is terrifying. It's terrifying to know that I'm going to have to answer to God for the words that I've said from this lectern. Okay, it is. And that's why every time I, I, I write a sermon, or even like with John Bevere's stuff, I've taken it and I've dissected it and I've put it all back together to make sure that you get uh, the message that God's wanting to speak to this house. But when I do that, I try to dismantle it. I try to disprove my points with the Bible. Because if I, can, if I can disprove my point, it wasn't good to begin with. But if after all the scrutiny, the point stands with the Word of God, then you're getting exactly what He wants you to hear. This person has honor, a person of great dignity. That's the last one. Hebrew words here mean to exalt one's glory. You know, John, uh, Jesus in John 17, 22 says, The glory that, that you've given to me, I've given to them, that they can be one uh, uh, as we are one. That is, glory is the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says to us, So why does God honor someone? Because he wants to exalt his glory, the Holy Spirit, in your life so that you can be a blessing to people. So you can move the kingdom forward. But I ain't a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. In fact, God bless the Lord that you're not a preacher. 
because I can't talk to the coworker that you're sitting next to all day long, all week long. And maybe you have the words because of what God's doing in your heart to get them to a relationship with Jesus too. We're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, aren't we? So whether it's the pulpit or the, or the, the pool cleaning aisle at the Walmart, it doesn't matter. Wherever it is. These are eight things that are byproducts of fearing the Lord. Now, let's shift for just a minute and talk a little bit about wisdom because wisdom is one of these byproducts of fear of the Lord. Proverbs 4, 7 says, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. There's nothing in this world that equals the value of godly wisdom, and you should seek it on every single decision that you have to make. Now, don't get legalistic on it. Well, I don't know if I should have gotten the tacos or the quesadillas, and I should have just talked to Jesus first. Too far. <laughs> but concerning lunch, <laughs> maybe a better wisdom question would be, God, do you want me to invite that couple and pay for their meal today? Because, see, God can use some tacos to create relationship, just like he can use money and save souls. When God promotes, excuse me, we're told in Proverbs 4, 8, if you prize wisdom, she'll make you great. This word means to raise or to lift up or to be exalted. Remember, when God promotes, no one or no circumstance can demote. Wisdom, therefore, is the path to enduring significance. Now, remember, significance, we talk about here a lot, is not as recognition as being great. That's not what significance is about. Significance is being in a position where you can help other people be great. That's what significance is about. So if you want to be great, help people reach their highest potential in Christ Jesus. That's what we value here. Why? Because that's real significance. Now, listen, promotion in the kingdom is never about you. It's never about you. It never. And that's why one of the most dangerous people in the church is that person that really wants the authority. And y'all know y'all have talked to people like this before. Somebody makes manager down to the family dollar and they think they Jesus Christ walking across the holy cornfield, don't they? Like, come on, man. Like, honor what the tag says. You know what I'm saying? Like, calm down. Promotion that is about you is not promotion. It's pride. Now, Promotion is always about other people. If you are promoted, it's because God wants to use you to see his plan completed on a larger scale than what you were doing before. This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Listen to me. This isn't a verse about comparison. It's a verse about helping other people succeed. Because I can't help your star rise if I think my star is better. So we need to seek wisdom. But it must be discovered. So how do we find it? Well, Psalm 11, uh, 111 and 10, and then Proverbs 9 and 10 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Being, you know, beginnings are very important in Scripture, and we see a big beginning in the beginning uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's just a starting place. So what you need to hear is that holy fear is the originating point of wisdom. So you can't get wisdom without holy fear. At least not godly wisdom. So picture it like this. There's a storehouse full of all the wisdom for, that you need for enduring success. But there's only one door and there's only one key that can get you access. Now that one door and that one key is holy fear. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 33, 6, A rich store of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So reminder, a fear of the Lord in a nutshell. 
holy reverence for God, that is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. It's to tremble at his word. It's to obey. So holy fear is the origin of enduring wisdom. But the byproducts continue even after you get to the starting place. Proverbs 14, 27 says this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Now, interesting, there are two words that are highlighted here, fountain and snares. Fountain and snares. The fountain is a constant flow of godly wisdom in your life. If you live in the fear of the Lord, guess what? There is a constant flow of godly wisdom in your life. That's incredible, because I don't know about y'all, but your boy can do some real dumb stuff up here. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody ever been left to your own devices and you've really done some stupid things? Well, guess what? Holy fear. The, the more you live in holy fear, the less dumb stuff you do, guys, because God is constantly pouring his wisdom into your heart. And then snares. What's a snare? It's something designed to catch an animal. So what if not only did you get this constant flow of, of, of wisdom so that you can know what to do, but also that as you're walking, God says, don't go there because that's a trap. Or don't look that direction because they want to entice you into something that you don't need. I don't know about y'all, but man, I need some Holy Ghost blonders a lot of times. You know what I'm saying? Like, just Jason, go that way. Don't even look this way. Don't, don't. My dad used to say, boy, don't talk, don't move, don't breathe. Sometimes I need that in the spirit. So if you take those verses together, Proverbs 14, 27, and you add Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is, the, uh, the fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom. Here's what we get. Holy fear is a fountain, a continual flow of the instruction of God's wisdom, an ever-present counselor that doesn't slumber or sleep, but consistently coaches us to make wise decisions in life. Isn't that beautiful? Now, if you'll let me have just a few more minutes here, I want to wrap this entire series up. These are just a few of the benefits, the byproducts of walking in holy fear. There are more. And here's what I think is beautiful, is that every single person, you're going to discover a different byproduct that speaks to you. Some of y'all, some of y'all don't need affirmation whatsoever. Like, you care less about what other people think. Like, God bless y'all. And so for you, affirmation is not going to be a byproduct of walking in holy fear. But some of y'all need it like the air you breathe. So every one of you is going to experience different byproducts by walking in holy fear. But it all starts with walking in holy fear. So remember... Fearing God is to esteem him. But there are three main sins that will keep us from fearing God. And as I was praying, this is stuff that's not, that John Bevere did not have in his message. This is stuff that I believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me for us about this, that there are three things that are going to keep us from this. It's idolatry, pride, and lawlessness. So idolatry, man, this is the second biggest sin that we engage in. It keeps us from experiencing God. Um, Money, people's opinions, our spouse, our kids, our identity, our ego, our abilities. All of these things are idols. And you know what? We're worshipers by nature. You go to a new restaurant and have a good meal, you're going to tell everybody and Jesus. Oh my gosh, y'all got to go. Y'all post it on Facebook. If somebody says, what's a good barbecue joint in town? We'll say what it is. We easily avert our worship from God to the thing that gives us instant gratification. So how serious is this? Look at Jonah 2 and 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Ooh, Jesus, I don't like that one. That's a yucky one. That's a yucky verse, Jesus. I want the lovey-dovey verses, Jesus. But look what happens when we worship idols. 
Love here is a word that's uh, just said. It means kindness, loving kindness, goodness, favor, mercy. So what if you realize that every time you were tempted with idolatry, Satan was simply trying to get you to forsake your hope of God's favor, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy even. Well, that changes the game, doesn't it? This mindset is what you get when you don't walk in the fear of the Lord. Pride. This is the first one. This is the, this is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. This is the sin that all of the sins go back to, okay? If pride can get the covering angel kicked out of heaven, what do you think it's going to do to us? Proverbs 22 and 4, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Riches, fortune, riches, wealth. Honor is the weight of his glory, by the way. That's, it's kabod. It's the same word in the Bible that we used to talk about, the heaviness, the weightiness of God's glory. That's what he's talking about with honor here. And life, of course, life is life. So what do you think riches are to God? Are riches money to God? Like, do y'all think God needs greenbacks? Oh, Jason, we could do so much if, if I just had money. But Jason, I just don't have any money to give you, buddy. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and the potatoes under, in the hill and the mineral rights under the hill. You know what I'm talking about? Like, God owns it all. There are probably planets out there that are just solid gold just floating around in diamonds. And like, God has all that. He got it. I'm telling you what, if God don't have enough money, forget me going to heaven and salvation. Like, I can't, if I can't trust him for the silly green stuff, then how can I trust him for anything else? A quick glance through the scriptures reveal that there are 13 times when riches and righteousness are contrasted. It made me believe that money is not riches to God. Righteousness is. Luke 16 even says that people are the true riches. Guess what we are? We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What do you think honor is? The Bible says that honor is the physical presence of God. What do you think life is? Well, that's easy. It's life. So we can reread Proverbs 22, 4 to say this. When we walk in humility, fearing the Lord, the reward is his righteousness, his family, his tangible presence, and his life. Man. What about lawlessness? Let me read you this passage of Scripture, and I'll get through this quickly. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together uh, to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you about these things? And you know what is restraining him now, uh, that he be, may, may be revealed in his time. By the way, that's the Holy Spirit. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. One, uh, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then lawlessness will, uh, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God help us. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may can be, be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Built into lawlessness is the notion that you cannot do it without God. 
Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against so-called gods or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Listen, this is not an attempt to overtake and overcome God. It's, it's an attempt to consider oneself to be God. That's what's going on here. It's a blatant act of refusing to engage with God because you think you don't need him, you don't want to acknowledge him, or you can pretend that you can do it all on your own to begin with. How many people do you know that refuse to engage with God simply because they think they don't need him? And can I tell you something? It's easy for us to do that when things are good and the money's flowing and the kids are obeying and the wife is doing great. Like, it's easy for us to, to just say, God, I don't need you right now. Things are great, buddy. But you know what this is? It's atheism. It's atheism. And at its core, it's what it is. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, that isn't me. Atheism just means without God. While you may not be an atheist in your beliefs, are you an atheist in your actions? An evidence of lack of the fear of the Lord is the active attempt to live your life without Him. So, you don't consult Him about the decisions that you think you have under control. That's atheism. You don't spend time asking for his wisdom on things like your marriage, your job, your parenting, your friendship. Y'all, we say we're not atheists, but we do it a lot of times, don't we? We live without God a lot. When you operate out of a mindset that says, I don't need God, he unfortunately gives you exactly what you're asking for. If you don't believe me, look in Romans chapter 1. This is amazing to me. This is amazing to me. Because when God first said, this thing about lawless that first came out as atheists. And I'm like, I can't tell the church they're atheists. Like, that's, Jesus, what are, you, what are you doing, man? And he says, no, it's not about the act of being an atheist. It's about what the mindset is when you do that. When you remove me, when you refuse to acknowledge me, you're being atheistic in your nature. You're just trying to do it without God. And then he says to me, go look in Romans 1 to prove it. And look at what this says. And see, they, they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. It's right there. What did God do? He gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought, what ought not be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Refusing to acknowledge God is the epitome of atheism, and it's the root of lawlessness. I'm not trying to be mean here at the end of the series. I'm supposed to be encouraged, Jason. Like, let, let me encourage you the best way I know how. Like walk in the fear of the Lord so you don't live, at least in action, an atheistic lifestyle. I'll be honest, y'all. Sometimes I love affirmation more than I love obedience. That's idolatry. That's what it is. Sometimes I get haughty when I think I have everything under control. That's just pride. Oh, Jesus, oh, we can take a break now. God, I know where everybody stands on the lead team. We're good right now. You better watch out, brother. Sometimes I feel like I don't need him or his insight. That's lawlessness. That's atheism. Jeez. We talked about the byproducts of the fear of the Lord, but idolatry, pride, lawlessness. 
these are the ingredients of the opposite of fearing the Lord. And you know what the opposite of a fear of the Lord is? is vanity. Vanity is regarding something as valueless. Empty. Idle. So when we live to please ourselves, we are living valueless, vanity-driven, hollow, fruitless lives. So, from a place of complete and total love in my heart for you, what needs to change today so that you can walk in the fear of the Lord? What needs to change? Maybe some of you, this whole atheism has hit you to the core. It's like, oh my Lord. And, and remember, I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be legalistic here and say that. Every little, every little thing, you know, like, God, should I raise my right arm or my left arm? You know, like, if you're at an auction, God might say, put your arms down. And, and I also want to be careful because I know it's not always easy to know exactly what God wants you to do. Can we just be honest about that? Like, can we be, I know we're supposed to be churchy and all that, but can we be honest that sometimes we don't know exactly what God wants us to do? So what do we do? What do we do in that moment? Let me just lovingly encourage you to do this. Seek wisdom more than you're seeking the thing that you want. So what does wisdom tell you to do? Ask some other people what they think. Ooh, I don't want them to know my business. Okay. Atheist? Stop. Don't. We're not going to be that. We're not going to do that. Stop. We're not doing that, okay? But seriously, listen, we can either walk in the fear of the Lord or not. We can either, we can either walk with a constant flow of wisdom from the Lord coming from us, or we can steadily step into the snares that the enemy has thrown at us. What do you want to do? I'm asking you to shift from a vain view of God and into a holy fear view of God. I'm not dangling benefits in front of you. Oh, here's the fruit. No, I want you wanting to be in the fear of the Lord, walking in the fear of the Lord more than you want the benefits of it. Now, benefits are awesome. Can I tell you something that's better? Just fearing the Lord is better than the benefits, man. It's better than the byproducts. Why? It's because you, you get that relationship, man. You're, you're in with him and here's the thing I want you to want this more than anything I can't want it for you so if you can be honest today what is it that's keeping you from walking in holy fear that's the question I have for you today that's the question I have for you for this whole series we've learned what holy fear is we've learned how to walk in it we've learned how to do obedience how to tremble at his word we've talked about the, the byproducts of holy, holy fear we talked about all this stuff by now you know and if, you, if you're new here and this is your first Sunday love you God bless go back and watch the other messages if you really want to dive into this but, but, but you've heard all this you know now like okay so what's keeping you from it that's what God wants you to do with today amen let's take a moment and pray Father we come before you in this moment God humbly not in vanity not disregarding our need for you. Not with an atheistic mindset that says, God, I don't need you. God, we come to you in this moment knowing that we can't, we can't survive without you. God, my next breath can't happen without you. And God, I know there are plenty of times, even in my own life, God, just glass house here for a moment. Even in my own life, there are plenty of times where I make decisions that are made without acknowledging you. So God, the first thing I want to do is I just want to ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for trying to live my life without you. Forgive me for thinking it's my life to begin with. When I said yes to you, Jesus, I died. 
and I now live in you. You live in me. God, I'm asking you to forgive me for any decisions I've made that have not been in line with your will, been made in haste, or demanding instant gratification. Church, I would recommend you do the same thing in this moment if God's leading you to that. God, we want to walk in holy fear. So I'm asking you to reveal to every heart what it is. God, just one thing to start with, one thing that they need to do to live in holy fear. In Jesus' name, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.